0: I'm going to start a series today from the Epistle Peter, and we're going to talk about the epistles that Peter had written. <clears throat> Let me do some introduction. The Apostle Peter is no stranger to believers. And if you're believers, you know about Apostle Peter. He's the one who wrote the epistles, right? So he's probably one of the most vocal followers of god you know in churches you know sometimes you have the quiet ones right sometimes you have the very loud ones very vocal right the vocal follower of jesus and he seems to be the leaders among the pack at least among the twelve and uh, he was one of the closest disciples of jesus one of the three that jesus had decided To bring him to the mountain to see his glorious form, his resurrected form, his original form. And so, as far as Jesus was concerned, he was one of the most trusted disciples of Jesus. But you got to know that Apostle Peter was very emotional. Have you ever met some emotional guys? You know, so Apostle Peter was a very emotional person. So um, especially when he was younger when he started following Jesus very emotional. He was one of those guys that are very quick to commit but don't have the strength or the uh, I guess the uh, intestine fortitude to follow through the commitment. And so he would commit very quickly. God, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to die with you. When everybody, everybody denies you, I'm just going to stick with you. I'm going to die with you. So it's very quick to, um, to to make a commitment and then and then have a problem follow through. And uh, so as as fast as he was very as fast as he, he made the commitment to die with Jesus, it, uh, he also as quickly when this problem people challenge him before he was filled with the holy spirit he immediately would deny jesus and call curses on himself but like i say peter was one of the most loyal disciples of jesus in regardless of his flaw jesus loved him nonetheless jesus had an amazing plan for him nonetheless and so after being filled with the holy spirit he became very 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 bold very powerful and he moved with incredible signs and wonders, more so than all the disciples that followed Jesus. At least that's what the book of Acts showed us. So he moved with incredible signs and wonder. Even his shadow was able to heal people. And, you know, Jesus didn't have that have that kind of manifestation. But you know, uh, so you know, who was able to move in sign and wonder? Now many had presumed. And listen to this. Some of you are from Catholic church background. I need you to listen to this. Many have presumed that Jesus had appointed him to become the leaders or the head of the church. So if you are Catholic, you have been told that Peter was the first pope, as it were, and Jesus had appointed him. And thereafter, the descendants of Peter, or the people that connected to Peter, people that connected to Peter, get eventually appointed to the role that Peter had. But you know, I want to show you something very interesting. Peter was never appointed the head of the church. Now, the people who say yes, he was. If you go to Matthew chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, I want you to turn to it. This is the scripture that Catholics use. To prove that Jesus appointed Peter to be the head of the church. In fact, to be the foundation of the church. So Matthew 16, 16, Jesus has asked, Who do you think I am? Who, who do you think I am? And people say, "Oh, some people say you are Elijah. Some people say you yeah, are some of the prophets, You this and that. And then Jesus said to the, ask the disciple, Who do you think I am? Who do you think I am? And, and so 16 Matthew 16, verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son uh, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it so the word peter means rock and so a lot of people would say this is how jesus said to peter jesus said you know more disciples they were sitting all together and so so jesus said, simon peter simon you are now peter and a lot of people presume that he stayed that way he said peter you're going to be the rock that i'm going to build my church but that's not what happened. you see in the english v- uh, vocabulary there's a lacking of words like you know uh english use love to represent eros philadelphia um uh, uh, agape you know we use one word to represent many other meaning it's the same thing here if you look at the greek uh, version of this bible that's what it reads this is what jesus is doing after peter had answered the question Jesus went Petros. Now Petros means little rock. Everybody say little rock. Petros. I'm going to call you Petros. You are that little rock. Then he turned to his disciple. He said, On this, on the Petra, which is a boulder, a big massive rock, I'm going to build my church. It's like sometimes when you say something, you just want to make, make it rhyme or try to connect. And so you kind of use the same, almost the same words to describe. But Jesus didn't say, I'm going to build my church on this little rock, which is Petros," But he turned to his disciples and said, I want to build my church on this boulder called Petra, which is massive and no gates of hell will prevail against it. And so that's number one. Also, you want to note, if you know the history of the church in Acts, in Acts, you know, um, there's this council of church. This is like the top committee, top executive board of the church in Jerusalem that would oversee all the church and give authority and give uh, send missionaries, send apostles, uh, send different people to different churches that now had spread throughout the world. And that, you know, remember, uh, Paul the Apostle would, would go back to Jerusalem to meet with the council, to ask the council for their interpretation of what the Gentiles ought to do when they become Christians. Remember that? And you notice that Peter was not the head of the council. If you study the, the book of Acts, you know that who was, the, who was the head of the council of the church? Pop quiz. Anybody know? It was James, not the brother of John, but the half-brother of Jesus. In other words, it's the son that Mary and Joseph had after they gave birth to Jesus. So the Bible tells us that Mary didn't have any intimate relationship with Joseph until she gave birth to Jesus. Because Mary needs to give birth to a son of God. And so... The half-brother of Jesus, same mother, one is from the Holy Spirit, of course that would be Jesus, and the other one would be from Joseph. That half-brother from Joseph was the man who became the head of the church council in the book of Acts. So, but nevertheless, Peter was a very vocal, seemingly the leader of the church right but he was never appointed to be the head of the church he was authoritative nonetheless have a lot of authority and so remember the council they were meeting together to answer Paul's questions and the council actually would listen to Peter and he said this is my experience with the gentiles you know with Cornelius and and indeed God did use Peter a lot like i said but so, so but the apostle Peter he was a very prominent amazing apostle that he was eventually uh, Executed and martyred for Jesus now church tradition will tell you that when they were going to martyr him He they were going to crucify him like Jesus was being crucified on the cross But he said to the people that were crucifying him. I'm unworthy to be crucified like my Lord You can crucify me upside down and that's what happened But Peter he wrote this two epistles It's known to be epistles of suffering (laughs) at least the first epistle right the second epistle is about the second coming the first epistle was about suffering now uh but he was nevertheless known to be the apostle of hope everybody say apostle of hope and so he was known apostle hope in this in this discussion about suffering now let's Let's talk about the epistle. Let me give you an introduction of the book of epistle uh, of Peter, the first Peter. And then there's another introduction for second Peter. Now, I don't know how long we're going to do first Peter, but you got to know that this book was written 35 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So Jesus rose from the dead, went to be with the father. Thirty five years later, the church was around 35 years old. Peter wrote this This book called the first epistle of Peter. So he was around in his late 50s and maybe early early 60 or mid 60 when he wrote this now during that time The church was already under tremendous persecution And many of them were scattered outside Jerusalem The believers at the time Like many believers today were very confused they were waiting for the second coming of Jesus. They waited, they waited, they waited, they waited. And there's no second coming of Jesus for over 35 years. And after that, they're seeing a lot of persecution on them. So they're questioning God. God, we're waiting for you. We're serving you. What is up with all this suffering? When are you coming back? It is in this kind of environment. That the Apostle Peter penned the book of Peter, First Peter, uh, the the book, uh, the epistle First Peter. So in this book, he's exhorting the church. He says, "You got to stand strong. You got to stand strong." And he repeatedly remind them. He tells them that Jesus is a great example for us of suffering, and and and, it's the, and, and that they have an inheritance. The second coming is coming soon. And Peter explained how Christians should respond to the suffering. You know, a lot of people don't know how to respond to suffering. When they see suffering, they complain. They see suffering, they they, they even curse God. Remember Job's wife? She cuts God. She's like, you go and curse God and die, you know. Because suffering is hard. But he is trying to teach the believers of church, this is how you handle suffering. His primary message in 1 Peter is trust the Lord number two live obediently doesn't matter how awful the situation is we still have to stay obedient to jesus and number three is to keep the hope fixed on jesus don't keep your hope on you know better car better house better yacht better job you know god will bless you that but your hope and my hope should not be on the things of the world Keep the hope fixed on Jesus, the ultimate promise of God that is eternal life. You know, when we suffer, I'm going to say that a few times in this, in this teaching. When we suffer, perspective is very important. Everybody see perspective. When you and I suffer, perspective is very critical. When you have the right perspective, then you can endure any suffering. Problem with most believers is that they got the wrong perspective. And so when suffering hits, boom, they will head for the hill. Because they don't have the right perspective. So Peter was trying to show them in this epistle the right perspective, even in the midst of suffering. And in fact, suffering, I know most of us don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. Listen, suffering is to be expected. But suffering is temporary, especially when you suffer for Jesus. But it will yield amazing results for your life, for your family, for yourself. If you stay steadfast in your suffering. Now, some of you are probably sitting there and go, Pastor Paul, that's an awful subject to talk about, suffering. Don't curse us. No, I'm not cursing you. I know you're blessed. I decree the blessing of God over your life. But listen to this. I'm going to make a statement that's going to be controversial, okay? There is not a good thing that can come about without suffering. Have you heard, no pain, no gain? There's not a good thing on this planet that can come about without suffering. You better count on it. It is true, not all sufferings lead to great victories and breakthroughs. Not all sufferings will bring you to great breakthroughs. But it is also very true that without sufferings, there is no breakthrough. You get that? Not all sufferings are going to bring great breakthroughs. But you know, all great breakthroughs, all great breakthroughs come with tremendous suffering. You know, the Bible in Hebrew, chapter two, verse ten, says this. It tells us that the humanity part of Jesus. If you have the Bible, you can turn and refer to it. If you don't believe me, but the humanity part of Jesus—Jesus you know, Jesus, when he was on Earth, one hundred percent man, one hundred percent God, right? But the humanity part of Jesus, Hebrew, tell us, was made perfect through what? Through suffering. Wow. The humanity part of Jesus was made perfect through suffering. Now, we know that Jesus' sufferings brought us eternal life, reconciliation to the Father, uh, give us us hope, free us from sin, free us from condemnation, would bring us healing, you know, and so on and so forth, a lot of blessing, you know. But I want to tell you this. Jesus' suffering made him In his humanity form, perfect. And of course, his suffering was to give us all the benefits of salvation, like I say, healing, provision, and so forth. Also, through the many sufferings of the many apostles in the first generation church, many disciples, many teachers, at the time when Peter was around, through the suffering of many believers, the gospel was able to continue in its form and that we are able to receive the gospel today and not only that throughout time we have learned that because of the suffering of the many missionaries ministers pastors so and so forth from the time of the apostle to today because somebody was willing to pay the price for the gospel you can sit here you can watch me you can know about jesus And so I want to encourage you that, you know, at the end of the day, suffering is not a bad thing. And so now let me continue to talk about suffering a little bit. Throughout history, humanity, the civilization of human, right? There's a lot of great example of people had to suffer to bring great results. Civilization flourished. In the history of humanity, because there were always people would suffer death and fought through wars and people being tortured so that some civilization could thrive. The nation of Israel come to my mind. Do you know that Israel, they became one of the most amazing nation during the time of David? And Solomon remember that now How how many of you know that from the day they left Egypt to the day of the days of to the days of Solomon and David? There were many sufferings going on many wars many people died in conflicts many people died defending Israel and from the in the desert of course They all suffer in the desert, you know, they basically went through incredible amount of suffering Before they come to the place where David was and Solomon was Speaking of desert I heard a preacher said this one time. He said God will never lead you through a desert Without the promised land right after it God will never lead you through any suffering without the promises after it so suffering is actually quite necessary now today we enjoy the comfort of life in the west but many of you and i don't know that the reason we have such a comfort democracy and freedom is because somebody had died for some cause some hundreds of years ago yes they made a lot of bad mistakes. So today we are in comfort, we've we enjoyed democracy, we love all that we love, because somebody, not somebody, there are a lot of people, thousands and tens of thousands have died in wars. The comfort you and I enjoy came about through the sufferings of many people. Even in Canada. Now in life... I wanna tell you this, suffering is necessary for great results. Well-known physician, uh, clinical psychologist tell us this, I won't mention his name, but there was this well-known clinical psychologist said this. He says that many of us in North America, many young people especially, had been protected from suffering. And because they have been protected from suffering, they tend to be very naive. And you see, that's a problem with naive people. People that have been protected from suffering, he said they're the most vulnerable to any malevolent. Any problem, any negative stuff would happen to them, it will just wreck their lives. We must be prepared to endure suffering. Believers, listen to me. Do you realize that believers' faith are the weakest in the absence of suffering? You heard me right? Believers' faith are the weakest in the absence of suffering. Now listen, let me qualify my statement here, okay? We do not make ourselves suffer. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't make yourself suffer. It's not of God. Okay. We do not believe in pursuing suffering because that's most foolish. We don't pursue suffering. Suffering in of itself is not an end. Making yourself suffer does not get you more credit and brownie points from God. For example, the people thought, you know i need to read more bible i I remember when i was a teenager struggling with different vices in life hello like most teenager and then i feel bad after struggle with certain vices so i will pray half an hour longer and i read the bible a few more chapters thinking that god would accept me this sacrifice so that my suffering, my endurance of this thing that I really don't want to do because, you know, I was young, I had no revelation in the Bible, whatever. I thought that by suffering a little bit for Jesus, it will make up all the sins that I have. No, how God doesn't enjoy our suffering. Can you hear me? You know who enjoys you suffer? It's the devil. Devil enjoys our suffering the demons enjoy our suffering you know why the demons enjoy our suffering you know why because you you look like god every time the devil looks at you you remind him of the god he hates and that's why he wants to persecute you that's why he wants you to suffer And the only demons and devil want you to suffer. Not your God. But listen to this. You and I need to accept that life is indeed full of sufferings. Whether you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter what class of society you're from. What skin color you have. It is a guarantee. I heard somebody say this. If you have not yet suffered, enjoy while you can is coming some people say I've never suffered in my life well enjoy what you can because it is coming right and Jesus actually promised that much in John chapter 16 verse 33 he said in this world you will have tribulation in this world you're going to have pain see as a pastor I know that you will face suffering from time to time But my job is to equip the believers, equip them in such a way that when suffering would come, you will not curse God. You will not make decisions that will set you back. Do you realize that many of us make stupid mistakes in the moment of suffering that we will regret later on? It is my job to equip you as a believer. That when it comes to suffering, you will not make the wrong decision, but you will make the right decision because in suffering, listen, there is always triumph. In suffering, there's always victories. What the devil had meant for evil, God can make it good. You remember Joseph? He's like being being, being so as a slave, you know, being despised, being being blamed for crimes that he didn't commit. And yet, when the time came that he had the opportunity to avenge himself to the brothers that sold him and betrayed him that caused many years of suffering, he told them, "No, what the devil had meant for evil. God had made it so that I'm the prime minister of the most powerful nation of the earth so that you can be saved in times of famine. And what the devil wants to do is to destroy you, but in that midst of trying to destroy you, I pray and hope that you'll learn how to lean and hook up to God, that you can make the right decision even in the most hopeless situation, the situation when you suffer deeply, and that you'll come out on the other side triumphant. Listen, I said it before, there's always a promised land behind the desert that God is going to send you into. So don't make the wrong decision. Quit and run. So I pray that throughout this time we have together, you and I learn to equip ourselves. Equip ourselves with hope, with true clarity. And so suffering will cause you to even know where your faith is. You know, I want to encourage you to stick with us for the next few weeks, to understand or to get equipped how to handle whatever challenges that may come. And it will come, all the challenges, whether it's challenges in your marriage, challenges in your career, challenges in your, in, in your life, challenges, challenges in relationship, challenges in life itself. They'll come. But I hope that when they come this time, instead of running for the hill, you know how to stand firm, and not complain, but make the decision to become an amazing victor.